0: We're going to be looking at what is the core of Christianity. Uh, what, is, what does it really mean to be a Christ follower? What are some of those beliefs that we need to be right in the middle of the bullseye? And what are some of those beliefs that just really aren't that important? And uh, another reason why I'm excited about teaching this series is because if you're not a Christian, um, you're going to be uh, finding out some stuff about us, the reason why you struggle with Christians. Uh, some of you... You may be here and you're like, I just, I struggle with Christians. And you're like, you may not even know the reason why. And we're going to discover today the reason why some of you, you just, man, we're just difficult to love sometimes, Christians are. A hill to die on. What does it mean, this jargon, this phrase, a hill to die on? Well, a hill to die on uh, is used to refer to an issue or belief held to be so important that it is worth fighting for at all costs. A hill to die on is an issue to pursue with wholehearted conviction or single-minded focus. The figure of speech has, uh, in its basis, a military strategy. In fact, we probably think, I've been kind of figuring out where did this jargon come from, and we think it maybe it came from Vietnam. Uh, and it came from this whole idea referring to a literal hill on which a strategic battle is fought. It's a hill to die on. So... With that aspect, why, why is it that so, so many people get frustrated with Christians about this? Well, it simply comes to most Christians, they seem to fight about a lot of stuff. Have you ever noticed that about a lot of Christians, a lot of churches? They fight about a lot of stuff. And many Christians are known for what they're against rather than what they're for. And they seem to have an opinion about everything. Can everybody say everything? Everything everything they have an opinion about everything they're willing to tell you their opinion and they're willing to fight about it tooth and nail and to most christians they have hundreds if not thousands of hill to die on now i believe that we should all have convictions i believe that and i think it's admirable in fact it was the dr martin luther king uh, he said this a man who does not have something for which he's willing to die is not fit to live and i agree with dr king I believe that we should all have important things about which we say, okay, I'm going to die on this hill. That this creed, this belief, and the issue is not that we don't have convictions. The problem is that we don't have beliefs or creeds. The problem is that for most Christians, everything seems important. And let me say this. If everything is important, then nothing is important. If everything is important, nothing's important. Let me share with you some of the things that Christ followers in churches fight about. And some of you, if I go through this list, you're going to go, I never knew that. That's okay. Trust me, they fight about it. All right? Is the Bible true? Another way of saying this is the Bible inerrant. All right? Let's go another. Literal. Can you believe in a literal heaven or hell? When when God speaks of heaven or hell, is it a literal place or is it just figurative? Let's go another one. Uh, Six-day creation. That it's a literal six-day, and again, uh, again, I've heard Christians fight about, you know, well, you've got to believe the creation is six-day, and we're going to talk about that. Is this something that we should fight about, creation or evolution? Next one, science versus faith. Here's one, the King James Version. If you grew up in church, how many of you grew up in church? How many of you needs counseling? Okay, cool. Um, Here's one of the dumb things that many Christians fight about, is they will fight about whether or not you can read any translation of the Bible or should you only read the King James Version. Now, the King James Version, that's the one that, and the Lord doth saith, right? It's one of those things that I'm like, I don't quite understand what you're saying. And And preachers, many times, who say you can only believe the King, you only should read the King James Version, when they start praying, their voice goes lower and they speaketh in the King James language right and I just I'm like so anyway move on um the trinity I mean this whole idea of God in three persons uh this is one of those things and can you explain it Uh, you know is there will there be a test later let me show you another one um the when you should be baptized should you be baptized as a baby should you be baptized after you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and how should you be baptized should it be sprinkled or should it be like full immersion? Should it be dunking, right? Um, and, and I mean, and I'll tell you, I grew up uh, in um, in, in, a, in a Southern Baptist background. That unless you were baptized in a Southern Baptist church in full immersion, then you had to be rebaptized again. Is that a hill that we should be dying on? We're going to be talking about that. Here is one: <laughs> the definition of marriage. Right? Is marriage between a a man and a woman, or can marriage the biblical definition of marriage, can it be a uh, guy, guy, or girl, girl? Right, here's another one. Uh, homosexuality. Is homosexuality a sin? Um, let's move on. Uh, the LGBT community. Is it a choice, or are they born that way? That's, that's what people are fighting on more. Alcohol. Can Christians drink alcohol? Um, here, let's go to another one. Can, uh, what about abortion? Is it wrong? Can you have an abortion? Uh, death penalty? No death penalty? You know, what's the right thing? Faith in politics. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I'm blaming my Iowa friends for the Iowa caucus right now. But really, I mean, how many, I hope you all voted this past Tuesday. Um, and right now we got two frontrunners, Trump and Clinton. Dear Jesus. <laughs> and some of you, oh, don't go, don't go political. I don't like either one of them. Is there a third option? Is there a Whig party? Right? I mean, I don't know. It's just like, dadgum right but should faith and politics mix (laughs) that's a fun one we're probably going to talk about calvinism or arminianism now some of you are like i don't know what you just said that's fine trust me christians will fight about this tooth and nail keep on going catholics or protestants all right keep on going contemporary traditional worship again if you grew up in church this was a a battle that people fought about can we have those loud drums in church (laughs) right can we do that? All right. Uh, here's one. Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Right. Uh, is speaking in tongues proof that you have the Holy Spirit? And, and, and where, where does that play in when it comes to worship? I mean, these are things that people fight about. And one of the things that you're going to do today is when you, your homework, your takeaway is that you are going to categorize and you're going to figure out what's essential, what's core to the faith and what's not. And hear me, a lot of these things may be very important. They just not, may not be core. And that's what we're talking about today. And the list goes on and on and on. And again, for some of you are like, Chris, I don't know, I've never heard of some of this stuff. Just believe me, Christians do fight about this stuff. And in fact, it reminds me of this video that I want to show you guys. Watch this. Wait for it. Yeah, like what? Are you religious or an atheist? Religious. Me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? A, a Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? I'm I'm Baptist. Hallelujah. Me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Original Baptist Church of God or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation of 1915? Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1915. funny, but it kind of makes us cringe a little bit, doesn't it? Because so many Christians are willing to literally go to blows over some things that really aren't that essential, like the Reformed Baptist Church of God, circa 1915, whatever that is. Man, we will fight about anything and everything. And of all of these issues we want to talk about today, which ones are the hill to die on? Which one of these are the core beliefs and the essentials of Christianity? That question that we're asking today, what is the core, what is essential, somebody asked of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And that's where we're going to be landing at today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 22. And while you're turning there, let me give you the context. Because in Matthew chapter 22, we're coming to the end of Jesus' ministry, and all of the religious people are really hating on Jesus. They really are. And um, you have these groups. You have the Pharisees, who are very religious. In fact, the word Pharisee means to separate. So they would try to separate themselves from everybody because they didn't want to catch sin. Some of you, you you know people like that, that they're kind of too good for their stuff and they don't want to be around people because if they're around you, they may catch what you got type of thing, you know. Um, And the Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus. In fact, they uh, gave him this question, uh, Jesus is it okay, is it right to pay taxes? Uh, in fact, what a valid question right now, huh? April 15th is coming. Should a Christian pay t- taxes? And, uh, and they the only point they were doing this, they were trying to trap Jesus. And, and Jesus responded in such a way that it, kinda, it, dis, um, it just kind of got rid of all the tension. And then you had this other group. In the next paragraph before we get to Matthew chapter 22, they have these group of Sadducees. They're called Sadducees. That's their sect. And the reason why you're Sadducees is because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were Sadducees. All right. So, and they came up with this crazy question about, okay, if a husband and wife got married and the husband dies and the wife, had they they don't have any kids, the the wife remarries another husband, they don't have any kids, and he dies, and the wife uh, remarries again. When they get to heaven after the resurrection, who will she be married to? They are asking a question about something they don't even believe. They don't even believe in the resurrection. And again, that's kind of how religious people are. They will fight about anything, right? They will. And again, Jesus kind of dropped the truth bomb, and it shut him up. But in Matthew chapter 22, we see this happen, starting in verse 35. One of them, one of the Pharisees, and a what? An expert in the law tested him with this question. And let's stop here, and let's kind of dig into this. This person was an expert of the law. Now, the law was the first five books of Moses, also called the Torah. That's Hebrew for law. And it's written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The expert, they had these memorized, these five books, right? And everybody saw this person as an expert. By the way, do you know what the definition of an expert is today? That if you're more than 20 miles away from your hometown. Seriously right and and what would happen is people saw this guy as an expert but more importantly he saw himself as an expert you see that that was a big problem in fact how many of you you have some expert people in your life expertly trying to tell you what you should be doing any of y'all how fun is that not fun at all but this guy he kind of just elected himself hey I'm an expert at this, and let me tell you how to live your life. And not only, get this, he asked a question not because he was wanting to learn. He was wanting to trap Jesus. He tested him. He tested him. That's very, very important. This person wanted to split theological hairs. He loved to argue about religion. And he is trying to trap Jesus, trying to trick Jesus. And here was the question that he asked. He said, teacher that's also rabbi, which is the greatest commandment of the law? You see, what this person was asking is this, okay, Jesus, there's the Ten Commandments, everybody knows those, and then there's 600 other commandments that's built kind of around the Ten Commandments. Of these 610 commandments, which ones are the core? Which ones are essential to faith of all of the Old Testament? If you had to summarize the entire 39 books of the Old Testament, 23,145 verses of the Old Testament, what would you summarize it down to? What are the core of our faith? And then Jesus replied in verse 37, and he says this. Jesus replied, and what does it say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. And the next verse, This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second one is like it. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this is so important for those of us who've been in church for a long time and for those of us who are thinking about maybe coming back to church or those of you that maybe got bumped out of church. This is so important because Jesus says, if you want to know what is the core, if you want to know what are the essential doctrines, if you want to know what you want to put in the bullseye of what you believe, if you want to know what hill to die on, I'm going to tell you. It's one word applied in two different ways love i want you to love god and i want you to love other people now it's what's amazing about this is what he doesn't say he doesn't say this okay here's the first and greatest commandment buddy you got to get baptized and and, and not just sprinkle but you got to get dunked, right now or you could going to say this you've got to explain the trinity to the concept to us two-year-old Or you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop thinking that. You've got to believe a certain way with this theological beliefs, You've got to say this creed. He doesn't go anywhere like that. He says, he boils down the 39 books, 23,000 verses into love. You're to love God and you're to love other people. I want you to have a loving relationship with God and I want you to have a loving relationship with people around you. That's it. I I want you to learn how to love God with your entire being, not just saying you love God on Sunday and you do some stuff on Friday night that doesn't show that you love God. And I want you to learn how to love other people, the people you like, your neighbors, and even the people you don't like. I want you to love your enemies. Jesus said, whatever the core of your beliefs are, the one thing you cannot leave out is love. Whatever you put in the circle of the center of your beliefs, Love has to be in the middle. However, you disagree with someone about your beliefs, it's just as important how you treat them as it is what you believe. Man, I got to be honest with you. That's not the, the thing that seeps out of most churches, is it? I'll give you an example Westboro Baptist Church. You know what I'm talking about there? They're the ones that put up the, the God hates. You know, homosexuals, I'm not going to say the words they put up there, and they'll, they'll picket, um, you know, funerals uh, for army men and women. I mean, they are known for what they hate. And that means they're a bad church. They're not that good Christians. Because Jesus says, I want you to be known by how you love. Even people you don't like, even people you disagree with, you are called to love them. You see, I think the reason why we have so many different denominations today has less to do with doctrinal differences and more to do that we just can't get along with one another. I think the reason why we have so many churches today is because, not because we believe differently, but because we can't get along with one another. Let me tell you, do you want to know how most churches are started? Not by church planners, but by church splitters. Because people can't get along and they're always bickering and gossiping and doing all of this junk Let me tell you i'm so glad how one church got started eight years ago because it wasn't a church split We had a church my home church that I actually grew up in here in town first baptist They said we want to reach people that nobody else is reaching and we want to do that means we got to do some things differently So let's start another church And they did. They put money behind it, and we just started. And you can tell we're vastly different than the way they look because they don't care about the looks. They want to see people come to know God. And that's what we should be. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of other churches here in this town that they got started because somebody couldn't get along. And bye, Felicia. I'm gone, right? Don't like you. I don't like your mother. I don't like your greasy granny. And I am not going to get along with you. I am not, you know, I'm not going to do it. Right? So here's the thing. I think what's amazing about this is even at a first glance of the New Testament, one of the things is just made really clear is that spiritual maturity and spiritual depth has far less to do with what you know, and it's more to do with how you treat other people. That if you want to, if you want to be a deep Christian, that what's going to determine that is not your theological treatises. It's going to be how you treat people that you don't get along with. It's going to be how you treat people who maybe sin differently than you do. I got a good friend in this church says, you know what, we all sin, we all sin differently, but we all repent the same. We all change and come back to God the same. You see, we can th- hurl some stones at people who, li- who live a homosexual lifestyle because you may not struggle with that. But, buddy, you're talking about, like, maybe you you may have a drinking problem, you may have a substance problem. We don't talk about those things because you struggle with those things. Let me tell you, sin is junk for everyone. Every sin brings death. And I don't think there's, hey, there's this, you know, I'm better than you because I sin in this way, brothers and sisters. That's what we're talking about in this series. What is the core of your beliefs? And what should be tertiary? (laughs) Somebody need to look that one up what's okay let me explain let me give you a synonym. periphery i I know i'm gonna keep on going sidelines how about that what should be the things that just aren't that important i I just i think Uh, here's what jesus said the last night that he was alive before he was crucified he says this by this all men will know that you are my disciples and if you had to fill in the blank there what would you put there you would probably put that they know the Apostles' Creed and uh, that they, you know, they give and they tie, that they serve and they have to believe this way and they have to believe. Th- I mean, they have to believe in a literal six-day creation, and then they will know that you are my disciples. That they cannot believe in evolution. It, it, that it's only cre- he, he didn't fill that with any of that. You know what he filled it with? Let's look. By this, all men you will know that if you are my disciples, I'm quoting that because it just went so quickly, if you have love for one another. I just, I, I just, if you're new to church, or maybe you're coming back to church, and maybe you got bumped out of a church, I'm sorry that that happened to you, but you, we just misrepresented Jesus well. We, just, we did. We didn't, we didn't represent him well to you. That we should be known as a Christ follower by how we treat other people. We should be known as for somebody who is out there and doing we think crazy stuff We should be out there serving them Loving them being jesus to them. Why because that is exactly what jesus did to you and I For while we were yet sinners christ died for us That is how he responded when we were at our lowest and that just should be how we should respond with those who are struggling Because all of us struggle You see What's important about this, but especially if you have a church background, the temptation is to cram too much into the core. And this is important, and this is important, and no, this is to be important, and we got to fight about this and this. And I'm going to vote on this way. And you know, I'm. And, and, and here's the thing: if everything is important, then nothing is important. Nothing is important. When you try to cram too much in, you have a tendency. Here's your tendency: it's going to be to fight about everything and to love people very poorly. Here's our big idea. Whatever you put at the core of your beliefs, include love. Whatever you put at the core of your beliefs, you and I must include love. This past Thursday, I traveled to South Carolina. There was a a conference there for one day, and what was so cool, I got to see three or four families who used to go to one church before they moved to South Carolina. Uh, and it was really, really cool. It was like an old homecoming. I was hugging. It was fun. A couple of these uh, couples were in my community group and it's just like, oh. And um, I, I, I heard from a guy there uh, who used to pastor a church in Seattle, a church of about fourteen, fifteen thousand. Um, 15,000. He launched the church. The church was about fourteen, fifteen years old. And if you went to their website today, you couldn't find it because the church is no more. The reason why this church imploded and blew up had nothing to do about bad doctrine, had nothing to do about that they had bad beliefs. The reason why this church ceased to exist is because the pastor did not love people well, he used people. In fact, this gentleman. This is what he said. He, he, he was there at this conference, and it, 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 it was about a, a year after it all happened. And, and he's like, he's, he's learning from his mistakes. I mean, we all hopefully learn from our mistakes. Here's what he said. He said, good theology results in loving relationships. That's good. Good theology good beliefs, right belief system will result in loving relationships. So if you're not loving other people well, that means your theology is really jacked up. And you got to go back and you got to look at that. Let me say this. Every atrocity in church history happened when the church confused fringe beliefs with core beliefs. Do you hear what I said? Every atrocity in church history, everything that we kind of like, man, I wish that hadn't happened, and when you got into college and this professor threw this in your face and threw this in your face with church history, every, t- every atrocity in church history happened because they messed up the whole idea of core beliefs and they tried cramming too much into core. Let me give you three examples. First one, the church, the Roman Catholic Church, once held the belief, a core belief, that the Bible should only be translated into the Latin language. All right, now, I'm not just picking on Roman Catholic, because in that time, there was only one church, right? There wasn't like Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist. There was just one denomination. It was the Catholic Church. And they had this belief that they they didn't want regular people reading the Bible. They didn't. They, they issued a decree that no Bible would be translated in any other language except Latin. And if anybody was found to have a Bible written maybe in English or in German or some of this, they could be executed on the spot. So the commoners, the farmers, the tradesmen, the families, children, would attend a Catholic mass, and the mass would be in what language? Latin. And no one understood Latin. How many of y'all understand Latin? Let me see your hands. All right, look at this. Some of you, are like, uh, sir, I hear you, I see carpe diem, I got it, me and you, okay? Some of you, you know the Latin phrase carpe dentum, which is seize the plaque. Um, but that's about it. I don't know any other Latin than that, right? And so, why would the priest not want to teach Latin to the commoners? Well, the reason why is because they gave the priest ultimate power. They could teach the parts of the Bible they wanted to teach, and they could even throw in some things that wasn't even in there. And for about a thousand years, the Bible remained well known only to a few people. The clergy, the priest, and some uh, few well-educated scholars. But the church was uncomfortable with the Bible being in the hands of everyone, to be accessible to everyone. The priests used this forced ignorance, and between the years of 400 A.D. to 1400 A.D., they deceived the masses, and they threw in all kinds of weird stuff. Weird stuff that you could pay to get people out of hell. That you could, you only had to go to a priest to be able to get your sins confessed. I mean, some of the things that if I said today you would think I would be, was picking on your denomination. I wouldn't be. Because many of these things are not in the Bible. And between the year 480 to this is this is called the Dark Ages. Look it up in your history books. The reason why it's called the Dark Ages is because nobody knew God's Word. So what changed it? I'll tell you. A couple of very courageous men. First, John, John Wycliffe lived in the 14th century, and he was the very first guy to translate the Bible into the English language. And when he did so, all of a sudden, all of these people who couldn't read the Scripture because they didn't know Latin, they could actually read it now. And the church labeled this guy a heretic and was, and was so disgusted about this guy that 44 years after he died... The Pope ordered that wickless bones to be dug up, burned, and to be spread along the river. I mean, this Pope had some anger issues. I mean, with somebody dead, that you're going to bury, you're going to unbury them, you're going to, you know, get them back up 44 years out of the grave. I'm going to burn you again, right? That ain't right. Nope. How about, look at this one. William Tyndale, he lived in the 16th century and he dedicated his life to translating the Bible into English. And and what's so cool, so anybody could read it for themselves. The Bible Bible books he translated were burned by the Catholic Church and Tyndale was charged with heresy for no other reason but by translating the Bible into English. So let me tell you what they did to him. They strangled him in Jesus' name. Right? Right? We love you, and Jesus, nothing, right? They strangled him, then they burned his dead body, right? Anger issues, right? And let me tell you, every atrocity that the church and church history has happened, when the church confused right doctrines, core doctrines, with stuff that really wasn't that big of a deal. And you know what? Nowhere in God's Word does it say it had to be only translated into Latin. Let me give you another one. Christianity must be, should be spread not by love, but by force. Enter the Crusades. People made these long crusades to the Holy Land and told people about the good news of Jesus and his love. And you either accepted Jesus and his love, or they would slaughter you and kill you. Right? What in the world was that? That's not core. That's not a core belief. Talking about atrocities, you want to know an atrocity that's happened here in the United States? Here's one. Christians once held the belief that Caucasians were superior to any other race. Let me tell you, back in the 40s, 50s, well, let's go all the way back to 1866 when the Ku Klux Klan was created in Pulaski, Tennessee. And we can say, well, you know, and most of these were Bible-believing Christians who hated other people. That's a, by the way, that's an oxymoron. You can't love God and hate your neighbor. And in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you had these, uh, these preachers who were preaching hate. Man, I, I'll, I'll never forget when I was, I was born in 71, and in the late 70s, the church I grew up in, um, an interracial couple showed up at that church, and one of the deacons went down front and told them they had to leave. That ain't right. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that smut that white people are better than anybody else. Nowhere. If you are a person, it doesn't matter what is the color of your skin. And let me tell you what it took. It took the, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King back in 1955 when he was this young Baptist pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, to say, enough is enough. And all the white preachers many of the time, they weren't saying anything. But it took this one courageous pastor. And let me tell you some of the quotes that Dr. King said. He said this. He said this. That love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He's getting back to the essentials of what Jesus said, that whatever you put in the center of your beliefs, you got to include love. And I tell you, I, I remember that day back in my church growing up, and, and I really it was, it was really then that I, I was like, man, I wish I could one day start a church in the south where everybody was welcome. You know, when the most segregated hour in America is still 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And that ain't right. If some of you, you don't get along with other people of the same race, you better, because if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're going to go to heaven, and you're going to see many of those there, and eternity is going to be a really long time for you to dislike somebody. Seriously. Some of you, you grew up in another denomination, and you can't understand this. You can't stand this denomination. Let me tell you, if they hold Jesus Christ as their Savior, you will spend eternity with them. Better get to love them now, right? Right? You practice. I turned it a long time, right? So here's what I'm going to say as I close. I want to throw this question up here because this really does whittle down what is the core beliefs. And you should have gotten this handout when you came in, all right? If you want to go ahead and, and take this out, all right? Because on this, there is a, a core number one and then there's periphery and i'm going to just read off some of these things there is one god who exists in three persons the church must observe baptism baptism communion all humans are separated from god baptism must be done by full and i want you to take this and i want you to rate it one through five one it's core five eh, it may be important but go back to that question if you would here's the question i want you to ask of all of these that slide before says this what is essential to believe in order to come to faith in jesus that's what i want you to ask of all of these things what is essential to believe in order to become in order to come to faith in jesus now keep that up i'm going to read some of these the holy spirit gives all spiritual gifts today that are described in the new testament do you need to believe that in order for you to be saved um there is you got to believe that there's a literal heaven or hell Do you have to believe that in order to to have faith in Jesus? Get you some more. Um, Biblical definition of marriage is between one man and one woman. Do you have to hold to that before you can say yes to Jesus? The answer? Now, some of these are important, but they shouldn't be essential. We shouldn't be fighting about it. We should be loving about it. So my challenge for you is I want you to take this home and I want you to fill these out, rating them one through five, and then I want you to flip it over and I want you to be able to kind of tally it up and your tendency is you want to, want to cram too much into the core. You will. And if you do that, let me tell you, Christians who cram too much into the core, they're going to fight a lot, but they're not going to love a lot. What are your hills to die on? Because over the next four or five weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. Let me close simply by saying this. The whole idea of this kind of came to me when I was, uh, we were hanging out with our staff. We planned our sermon series a year, year and a half in advance. And as we were throwing a bunch of ideas up on the board, my mind drifted back to when I was in Israel. And I said, hey, what about a hell to die on? And the more I started talking about this, the more excited the staff got and the less excited I got about it. Because I'm thinking, this is going to be kind of controversial, right? And uh, they were like, yeah, you should preach this. And I'm like, no, you should preach it, right? (laughs) So, uh, But uh, I, I remember thinking back in 1997 when I went to Israel. And I was going to hang out in Israel for 21 days. I actually stayed there before and longer. We actually stayed there over 30 days. And I got to see so many, of these, uh, so many of these places that just brought my faith in technicolor. It was just like, ah, it was amazing. And I loved almost every part about it. But the part I'm going to tell you about today disgusted me. I remember going in 1997, May I remember going, I was at the Joppa Gate, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go visit the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Now, let me tell you what that is. In fact, while I'm talking, go ahead and throw that video up if you wouldn't mind. The Church of the Holy Sepulcher is, a, is, a, is the place where Jesus was crucified. So it's kind of a big deal, right? Now, what, um, here's what's so amazing about this. Uh, he was crucified on uh, something called Calvary or Skull Hill or Golgotha. That's literally what it means, Skull Hill. And this hill looked like a skull. But what people had a tendency to do, starting back in 300 A.D., when Constantine, he was the first Christian emperor, and I use Christian in quotes, um, he, uh, him and his mom created this big monstrosity of a church over the place where Jesus was crucified. And then once he was taken down off the cross, just a few steps farther is his, where his tomb was at. So they have taken this place and you don't doesn't really look like a skull at all it's just just huge monstrosity of a church I remember walking in there and there's gold and there's there's just it's opulent and I mean there's uh, tons of people in there and it's just it smells of of incense and and it's just and it's if I could say it this way it's it's 2,000 years of religion wrapped around a rock and I, I remember just seeing all of this and thinking This is not why Jesus came. Here's what really disgusted me, though. I remember going in and walking into this church. And here's what you need to know about the church of the Holy Sepulcher. Is the church, there is three groups of Christians... that that are battling and saying that they actually have the spot that Jesus was buried, or the spot that Jesus was crucified. And in these three warring factions, you have the Greek Orthodox, uh, you have the Catholics, you have the Armenians, and they were literally screaming at each other. Saying, no, you don't go there, you come over to here. Let me, I'll show you the place. And I remember being so disgusted that I only went into the church for like 30 seconds and I'm like, I gotta get out of here. It just, it made me violently ill. In fact, I wanna show you a clip of what some of these church priests do in the place where Jesus laid down his life because he loved us. Let me show you how much love they have for one another. Watch this. (laughs) This was the point where the concept of love by neighbour went straight out of the window at Jerusalem's Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Islands between the Armenian and Greek Orthodox groups flared in a row over control of the historic building. First, rival worshippers began hurling punches. Then clergy on both sides waded in with a flurry of right hooks and some hefty kicks to the fellow Christians they now appeared to regard as fair game. The fighting went on for about ten minutes, despite the efforts of Israeli police to break up the warring factions. Each side later blamed the other for the unholy scenes of violence. Uh, Greeks uh, have tried so many times to put their monk inside the tomb, but that's not. Uh, they don't have the right to put their monk inside the tomb when the Armenians are celebrating the uh, uh, the feast. At least two clergymen were arrested for their involvement in the fighting. Many others are nursing sore heads and other body parts. So far, nobody's claimed to have God on their side. Paul Chapman, Reuters. You know, when churches don't love well, we become a joke. You hear that newscaster kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, they're supposed to be loving one another, and they're fighting because they have no right to be in the tomb. Let me tell you, none of us have any right to be in that tomb because all of us are sinners. Romans 5.8 says, When we were at our worst, that God loved us while we were yet sinners. That he died for us. I mean, I'll I, I simply say this. Imagine what a church could look like if we loved well. Imagine what a church would look like in this community if we chose, you know what? Even when we don't agree, even when we don't agree in this area or that area, we don't agree in how maybe how we interpret the Bible or the book of Revelation or tongues. You know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you well, and I'm going to love my Heavenly Father well. I'll tell you, the, church, the, the churches that have the capacity to make the biggest difference in our society are those that love well, not just have good beliefs. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Who are you going to love well this week? Who are you going to love who may be different than you, have a different belief system than you, maybe, I mean, people who cut you off on the interstate, right? People while you're at Starbucks trying to get your overpriced latte and somebody gets in front of you. Oh, no, he didn't. Are you going to love him? Because churches have the capacity to make, have the biggest difference in our society if we love. Look at this church. Since in the, over the past eight years... We've had 8,500 people come through our doors. And we're always spinning off people because they'll, they'll leave and the army will, will literally take them and they'll move them someplace else. We have a built-in missionary strategy, right? That if our church could just love well, that when they go PCS to Germany, when they PCS to South Korea, when they PCS to Fort Bragg, by the way, I see you, when they PCS to Tampa, when they PCS to wherever, that you can actually love people and you can transform your culture. Imagine what that church would look like. That can be you. That could be me. But we got to stop fighting. we got to start loving other people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're coming to you today saying that many times us as a church, we really screw this up. We really mess this up. We have a tendency to fight about all the things. And many of these things, we, they are important. They're just not essential. God, I pray that whatever we put into that core, whatever we say that that is the thing about Christianity, well, we've got to include love. Because that was in your heart. That was your motivation for sending your son to the cross. Was love. That was your motivation Of him stretching out his arms and dying alone, cut off even from his heavenly father. Because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God is love and in him is no darkness. And if that is God, that should be God's followers. So my challenge, if you're willing to do that today, if you're willing to be a Christ follower who says, you know what, I'm going to love, even when it hurts, I want you to stand up right now. I want you to stand up. And as we sing this song, I want you to just go for it. I want you to stick around. I want you to sing it. I want you to say, God, this is me. I am Even when I don't like other people, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love even my enemies. We're going to do that. So let's sing.